Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, in case you've been, unless you've been living in a cave, you probably know that there's a huge movement that's going on in our society to try to remove Christ from uh, Christmas. I think it's part of that whole cancel culture movement. If you don't agree with it, try to get rid of it, pretend it never existed. So let me just go on the record and say, uh, it is not season's greetings, okay? It is not happy holidays. It is Merry Christmas. It is the celebration of Christ's birth. And I kind of feel like, man, yes. If you don't want to celebrate it, don't celebrate it. But I'm telling you, you cannot remove Christ from Christmas. In fact, the word Christmas actually comes from two words. Obviously, it comes from the word Christ, and it comes from the word mass. Mass is a Latin word that means celebration or festival. So Christmas literally means the festival or the celebration of Christ. Literally, you cannot move Christ from Christmas. Now, for years, I've been uh, preaching on Christmas, and when you've done it as long as I have, you have covered it from every angle you can possibly cover it. I'm telling you, I was telling somebody today, I've covered it from Mary's angle, uh, from Joseph's perspective, uh, from the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, I think one of the donkeys, even a rooster one time. But I'm telling you, if you've done it long enough, you kind of like, how am I going to approach Christmas this year? So I thought I'd do something a little differently this year. And uh, I did it because a couple of years ago, you may remember, uh, it was Easter but it was Palm Sunday, and I said, I'm going to give a message this year on Palm Sunday about Easter, and it's a message I want to give, but I can't really give it on Easter because of all the poinsettia and lily crowd shows up on Easter, and it'd be way too deep for them. And so I talked about when Jesus, was, when Jesus died on the cross, when his body was in the tomb, what did Jesus do for the three days that his body was in the tomb? Now, you may remember that, but we learned a lot of theology, and we kind of tracked where Jesus went over that three-day period of time, and we learned the implication that it has in our relationship with God today, the fact that one day we get to go to heaven. So there was a lot that was going on. So I thought, you know what, since that went over so big, and a lot of people really appreciated that, I thought this year I would talk about the theology behind Christmas. And I know that just saying that, some of your eyes just kind of glazed over and rolled back in your head, but hang with me because here's the really, really good news of great joy. It is a really short message, okay? So let me begin, let me begin by just reading you part of the Christmas story found in Matthew chapter one, verse 18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. And this is what the prophet Isaiah had said. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God 
with us. Now, as I said, that is, that is a reference to something that the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7. And you probably recognize that verse. You've probably seen it on a Christmas card. But I doubt that many of us understand the background or the context of that verse. So let me just show you the prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. That's so key. You house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? And then here was the prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And that, that's the very same prophecy that is quoted for us over in Matthew chapter one. I wanna give you the background of this prophecy. Understand that Ahaz is the king of Judah. Now, if you were here when we went through the origin story, you may remember that during the book of 1 Kings, it covers the reign of three kings. Saul reigned for 40 years, David reigned for 40 years, then Solomon came along and he reigned for 40 years. And so for 120 years, you have a united kingdom. But at the end of Solomon's reign, you may remember there was a civil war. And at that time, the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes. 10 of the tribes went to the north. They became known as Israel. Two of the tribes stayed in the south. They became known as Judah. So King Ahaz is the king of Judah. And at the time of this story, when we pick it up, Syria is in the process of attacking Judah. In fact, Syria is actually partnering with Israel, the 10 tribes in the north, to attack Judah in the south. So naturally, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, he's very, very concerned about the predicament he's in. So Isaiah brings this prophecy to King Ahaz, and this is basically what he says. God is going to take care of you. God is going to protect your people. In fact, Isaiah says to Ahaz, listen, it's okay for you to ask God for a sign. If you want God to give you a sign that he's gonna protect you and that he's gonna protect your people, just ask him for a sign. But Ahaz responds, I am not going to ask God for a sign. Look what it says in verse 12. I will not put the Lord to the test. In other words, I'm not going to tempt, to, to tempt God. And when you read that, it sounds like a very spiritual answer, but here's the deal. It's not a very spiritual answer because Ahaz is not a spiritual man. It's not a godly response because he's not a godly man. He's a very, very evil man. In fact, King Ahaz, and this is going on behind the scenes, he has already made a backroom deal with the king of Assyria. Now, that's two different nations, okay? Syria is the one that's attacking. So he goes to the king of Assyria, and this is what he says. He basically says this, I will sell you my people. I'm gonna sell you the people of Israel and they can be your slaves. And so this king of Judah, he is willing to sell out his own people to save his own life, to save his own skin. In other words, he doesn't want to trust God. He doesn't wanna do it God's way. He wants to manipulate the situation. He wants to do it his own way. So it wasn't that he didn't want to test God. The reality was he didn't wanna trust God. So that's the situation. But God's a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. And so he gives King Ahaz a sign. And the sign has to do with the Messiah. And so it says in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, let me ask you a question. How would that be a sign to King Ahaz? Because think about this. This is 740 years before Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. So he says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Well, why would that be a son? Well, first of all, 
Ahaz is the king of Judah, which we just read, is the house of David. And that is the lineage that the Messiah was prophesied to come through. And so this is what God is saying to King Ahaz. Don't you remember what I promised you? The Messiah is going to come through the house of David. The Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. And since the Messiah hasn't arrived yet, there's no way that anything's gonna happen to you. There's no way that anything's going to happen to the nation. I still have a plan. I still have a purpose for you and for my people. Now understand, that was the sign that God gave to King Ahaz. Now, I just want you to see that there are two theological truths in this prophecy that you have to believe if you're gonna understand Christian. In fact, you really have to believe if you're gonna call yourself a Christian. Now, let me just say something here. Whenever you study the Bible, understand there are some things in the Bible that are essential. They're not but open for debate. Then there are some things that are non-essential. Give you an example. Um, whether you were sprinkled or immersed when you were baptized, that is a non-essential. That is not something that you need to have a lot of debate over. What's important is why you were baptized. Because the Bible teaches in the New Testament, you get baptized after you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. I tell people it's like a wedding ring. It's an outward sign of an inward decision. So when you get baptized, you're not getting saved. You're, 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 you're basically communicating a message. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. So it doesn't really matter whether you were sprinkled or whether you were immersed. I hope we practice immersion. But what's important, I mean, if you grew up Catholic and you were baptized as a baby, honestly, the Bible has absolutely nothing to say about being baptized as a baby. The only time we're to get baptized is after we make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. Now, you may have gone to a church at the time where you were sprinkled. It's important why you did it, not how it took place. Here's another one. Do you serve wine at communion or do you serve grape juice at communion? People have asked me that question. In fact, they'll say, why do you serve grape juice at Hope? It's because I know you people. <laughs> and I know that if we served wine, some of you would go through the line, then you'd go and get in the back of the line to go through again. And we just don't want that to happen, right? Here's another one. Are you Calvinist or Arminian? Non-essential. In fact, if you don't even know what those words mean, good for you. Because in the big scheme of things, all it is is something to talk about. Here's another one. Rapture or no rapture? Non-essential. We know that one day Christ is going to return and those of us who are Christians are gonna spend all eternity with him in a place called heaven. Those who aren't Christians are gonna spend all eternity in a place called hell. Those would be things that are non-essentials. How about some essentials? Well, when we talk about essentials, we're commonly referring to them as our doctrinal statement. Our church would call it their statement of faith. And I made a list, the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. The fact that the Bible is inspired by God, not just written by man, that's an essential. The doctrine of the Trinity that the God who exists in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that's an essential. The deity of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, his sinlessness, his death on the cross for man's sin, his bodily resurrection from the grave, his return to this earth one day, the assignment of those without Christ to hell, the assignment of those with Christ to a literal heaven. Those are essentials. Those things are not up for change. Those are not things that we sit around and debate. And so the two truths that I'm getting ready to share with you, these are essential. Let me give you the first one. Essential truth number one, that we have to believe about Christmas. Jesus was born of a virgin. You have to believe that. And I realize that we live in a world where a lot of people don't believe uh, that the virgin birth is that big of a deal. Let me tell you why the virgin birth is so important from a theological perspective. Let me tell you why it's such a big deal. And it's because since Jesus was born of a virgin, it means that he was fully God while he was on this earth. 
He's not the result of the offspring of a human being. He's the offspring of God. In fact, we saw a couple of indications of that in the passage we read earlier, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But here's the bigger question. Why is it essential that we believe in the virgin birth? Well, it's because, understand, if Jesus wasn't born a virgin, born of a virgin, then Jesus had to have had an earthly father. I mean, let's be honest, it takes two to tango, right? He would have had to have had an earthly father. And if Jesus would have had an earthly father, it would mean that Jesus wasn't the son of God. So the only way that Jesus could be the son of God is if he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we know that he was God on this earth. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. By the way, I also think it's interesting that the Bible teaches that the sins of the father, not the mother, are passed down to their children. And a lot of wives are saying, I suspected that. I know they didn't get that from me, right? But the sins are passed down by the father. So think of it this way. God used Mary's egg, but the seed came from God. And that explains to us why Jesus didn't have a sin nature. So it's very, very important that we believe in the virgin birth because I'm telling you, that is the only way that it was possible for Jesus to be fully God while he was on this earth. Understand, Jesus Christ was not a messenger from God. Jesus was God himself with the message. It's a big difference. You can see the entire Christmas story in John 3, 16. Let me give it to you this way. For God, the greatest lover, so loved, that's to the greatest degree, the world. That would be the greatest object of affection. That he gave is the greatest act. His one and only son is the greatest gift. That whosoever is the greatest opportunity. That's why the first Christmas, the angel said what? It's good news of great joy for all the people, not just Jewish people, not just religious people, not just perfect people, not just Catholic people, not just holy people, not just Baptist people. This is good news of great joy for all people. That's what it means when it says that whosoever is the greatest opportunity believes in him, that is the greatest simplicity. You just have to believe. Shall not perish, that's the greatest promise, but have eternal life. That's the greatest possession. I'm telling you, that is the Christmas story. By the way, this is what we need to understand about this truth, God with us. God himself, God came himself to pay the penalty for our sins. Let me give you an illustration. It's kind of a silly illustration, but maybe it will help. Let's say that during COVID, you lost everything. You lost your job, you lost your income, you lost your house, you can't keep a roof over your head, you're trying to feed your family, you can't feed your family. I mean, one day you're so despondent, you're like, I got nothing else to lose, and you go lose it, so you go rob a bank, right? You would have never robbed a bank in your life, and you find yourself robbing a bank, and of course, you're not very good at it because you haven't done it before, and you get arrested right on the spot. Got the money in your pocket. You're guilty, right? But you get a trial. So they put you in a cell and then one day they take you to the court and you go into the courtroom and the judge comes out and everyone stands and you're like, oh my, I know that judge. I know that guy. I need to talk to him. And you say, uh, could I approach the bench? And the judge says, sure, approach the bench. And you go up and say, listen, you know me. You, listen, we were neighbors for years. You know this is not my character. You know I'm not a bank robber. And the judge says, well, did you rob the bank? Well, yeah. 
but I don't want to go away forever. I mean, I'll, I'll change my evil ways. I'll get my act together. Please don't put me in jail. Please don't take me away from my family. But you're guilty. Yeah, I'm guilty. And the judge says, okay, take your seat. And the judge ponders it for a minute or two, and then finally he looks up and he says, okay, I want you to release the accused. Set him free. And you're thinking, yeah, man. He dismissed the charges. And then you look up and you see your neighbor, that judge, and he takes off his robe and he lays it on the bench. And he comes around, and he comes around to the, where the policemen are, the marshals are that were watching you, and he puts out his hands to be handcuffed. And you say, well, wait a second. Didn't you dismiss the charges? He says, no, you're guilty. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm gonna let you go free, but somebody's got to pay the penalty. That's what happened when God came to earth. It's very, very important to believe in the virgin birth because it helps us understand that it was God who paid the penalty for our sins. In other words, God didn't just dismiss our charges. He didn't pretend that it never happened. He paid the fine. Do you know why? <laughs> We're guilty. And so it's important that we understand that Jesus was fully God on this earth. And the only way that's possible is if Jesus was born of a virgin. Here's the second essential truth that we need to believe about Christmas. Jesus came in the flesh. And I was just having this conversation with someone the other day, but the argument today that Jesus didn't come in the flesh uh, is actually the very same argument that was taking place 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on this earth. That's why Jesus asked the disciples, you may remember in Matthew chapter 16, he said, hey, who do people say that I am? I mean, you guys are out on the street, you know? You're out, you're out in the marketplace. What's the word on the street? And remember how the disciples responded? Well, some say you're a prophet, right? And some say you're a teacher. In fact, Jesus, they are really impressed with how great of a teacher you are. Others say you're just a good man. But then Jesus made it personal. He says, okay, that's great, but who do you say that I am? And this is interesting. The answer today is the same answer that Peter gave to the same question 2,000 years ago in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. He said, you are the Christ, look at this, the son of the living God. See, that's why, again, it's important that we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. He's the son of the living God. But it's also important that we believe that he came in the flesh. Let me show you some verses that back up this truth that Jesus came in the flesh. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. It's interesting, the word beginning there that John uses in the Greek means in a beginning that really had no beginning. Because we cannot comprehend a beginning without a beginning. But in a beginning that had no beginning, Jesus, John's favorite word, word for Jesus was the word. It's the embodiment of everything that Jesus Christ was. So he calls him the word, but it's Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. And then he says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Here's another one. First John chapter four, verse two. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. How about second John verse seven? I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. So why is it so important that we believe that Jesus came in the flesh? It's because it's important that we believe that Jesus, while he was on this earth, was at the same time fully God and fully man. And let me tell you why that was so important. 
if Jesus didn't actually become a man, if Jesus didn't actually become flesh and blood, think about this, then Jesus didn't die. And if Jesus didn't die, guess what, people? Our sins aren't paid for. If Jesus didn't die, our sins weren't atoned for. So Jesus had to die to pay for our sins. Let me show you an interesting verse. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. It's in the New Living Translation. But it says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. By the way, why is it so important that we believe and understand that Jesus broke the power of death? Well, think of it this way. Every one of us, unless Jesus returns, every one of us will face death. I've always said that the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. But the good news is that Jesus has already faced death and overcome it. Yes, Jesus suffered. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. But think about this. He rose on the third day. Why did Jesus rise on the third day? You ever ask yourself that question? I'll tell you two reasons. One, it was to verify and validate that he was the son of God who could take away the sins of the world. He's the one who could actually pull that off. But second, it was to show that he had, he had taken the power over death. I mean, think of it this way. Every one of us has lost someone to death. Every one of us knows how hard it is to watch someone suffer and die. I'll never forget a few years ago, uh, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And in just a few weeks, I took him in to see the doctor one day, his cancer doctor. And the doctor looked in his eyes and he could see the jaundice. And he looked at me and kind of shook his head. And thinking that I was just taking my brother-in-law to the doctor, I realized that what I was doing was taking him next door to the hospital where he would be admitted and he would never come home again. And so for the next few days, I pretty much 24 seven around the clock stayed there with him. And, and I remember what it was like to, to see him suffer and see him finally be put on the morphine and then what it was like to be there when he finally took his last breath. And many, many of us have been there and we've seen that. But this is what's interesting. Whenever we go through something like that, think about this, God knows how we feel. Because understand, when Jesus hung on the cross, see, God watched his child die. You may not know this, but the book of Isaiah contains more prophecies about Jesus coming to this earth that first Christmas than any other book in the Bible. And one of these verses, one of these prophecies, we, we often will see them uh, on a Christmas card that maybe comes to us in the mail. But it's, it's a verse that tells us that when Jesus was on this earth, he was fully God and he was fully man. Let me show you the verse. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. To us a child, a human, is born. See, that's Christmas. That's Mary, that's Joseph, that's the manger, the stable, it's the shepherds, it's Christmas. But the second part of that verse, to us, a son, the son of God, is given. Well, that's Calvary. I often wonder what it was like the day of the crucifixion. To think that maybe the same angels in heaven were the same angels that 33 years earlier pronounced glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to all men. For unto us is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But now it's 33 years later, and they're looking over the embattlements of heaven, and what do they see? 
they see Jesus arrested, tried, convicted, beaten within an inch of his life, and then nailed to a cross. And I imagine if the angels watched that day, they probably couldn't take their sight off of what they were seeing down on planet Earth. But if they had, and if they would have looked into the face of a father, they would have seen a face of a father who gave his only begotten son so that we could live. Let me give you an illustration to close that maybe will help you understand this. Just for illustration's sake. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? God said, if you eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. Don't do it. Stay away from it. Let's say that the day that Eve ate of the tree, let's say Adam wasn't there. Maybe he was off fly fishing somewhere else in the garden. So he hadn't sinned. But God had told them, if you eat of it, you will surely die. And we know it meant two things. One, by the way, death, anytime you read about it in the Bible, it means separation. And so we know that when she ate, she would have died spiritually because there was a separation between her and God. But she also began the process of dying physically. Her spirit would separate from her body. But what if Adam hadn't been there? What if he, what if he hadn't sinned? Well, if that would have been the case, a conversation similar to this would have taken place. God would have gone and found Adam wherever he was fishing. And he'd say, hey, Adam, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but the bride that I made for you has sinned. And because she sinned, she's gonna die. Now, I know that didn't happen, but I can tell you what did happen. When Adam and Eve sinned, God the Father had to go to his son and he had to say to him, son, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but the bride I made for you and that would be us. That would be humanity. The bride I made for you has sinned. And she's going to have to die. But in this case, Jesus responded saying, no. I'll die for her. See, I'll die so my bride can live. Now see, if you miss that, you miss Christmas. Oh, we love the part about a child is born. But if you forget the part about the son that was given, you've missed it. Don't miss it this year. Would you bow your heads for a second? I just, I want you to just ask God, God, what are you saying to me through this message? And I realize that many of you, whether you're here live or you're listening, you, you're probably already a Christian and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. But let's, let's never, ever lose the wonder of Christmas. Let's never, ever lose the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us and paid the penalty for our sins so that we could really, really live. That's the story of Christmas. But my guess is that there are some of you this weekend, maybe you've heard the story before. Maybe it's never really been real to you. Maybe you've missed what Christmas is really all about. In other words, even though Jesus came to the earth to be our savior, uh, you've never accepted that gift. I mean, you've heard the story, you probably have even sung the carols, but you've never gotten to that place where you've given control of your life to him. So I would just encourage you, why, why, why don't you do that this Christmas? 
I can't think of a better time to do it than right now. I mean, that is why he came to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, not just to be born in a manger, but 33 years later, <laughs> knowing that every step along the way through Palestine and Judea, that the ultimate destination was the cross where he would pay for our sins. So I'm just wondering, would you say to him right now, Jesus, man, I kind of made a mess of my life, but I give you my life. I give you control of my life today. I believe the Christmas story. I believe that you were born a virgin. I believe that you were God on this earth. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that you rose three days later to verify and validate that you are indeed the son of God who has the power to take away my sin. And I accept you as my savior. See, that's the message of Christmas. Not a baby in a manger, but a savior, a savior for all people. And it's good news of great joy because it's available. Father, so many times we get so caught up in Christmas and the hustle and the bustle and the lights and the gifts and the trees and the parties that we fall short of understanding it every year. And I just pray for those that are listening at home, whether they're here listening in the auditorium, that they would ask themselves, have I really made that decision? Do I understand that God sent me a savior because I need saving? And the reality is, Father, we all need saving. As I've said before, we can't save ourselves from the day-to-day -day mundane issues of life. What makes us think we can save ourselves for all eternity? So Father, I pray that when people will come to the realization that I need saving, they'll understand that they have a savior. He's Christ the Lord. And may this be a Christmas that they will always remember. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your graciousness and your generosity to us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.